0: John Party's journey to superstardom and a fictional character celebrates an anniversary of some very real music. Today, on the Music Universe Podcast. Hey buddy, how you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Oh my god. Uh, you know, we're airing this a day later that we should have on, uh, on a Sunday. I wanted to air this yesterday, but we didn't get to record on Friday. It's Saturday now. Uh, because uh, I came back I was dead tired. What a day I had following John party around uh, New York City I say that I mean I just went to build and to his concert at the Hammerstein Ballroom. Did you watch it on Facebook or, or prime Did you see anything? Uh, you know I, I didn't I wanted to catch it but I was just
1: uh, you know spending some time with my daughter and uh, just hanging out. That's
0: really cool. The other reason we wanted to air this yesterday is because it was the anniversary of the Chris Gaines album, Garth Brooks' In the Life of Chris Gaines album that came out 20 years ago today as we're recording this and yesterday as you folks are hearing this. Oh, yeah. So. Are you a fan of the Chris Gaines album? I love the Chris Gaines album. You
1: know, I do too. And uh, it gets a lot of flack because people just did not understand where Garth was going with this. I mean, he he was a fictional Australian rock star with a sex craze. And um, had some great music. For those that aren't familiar with the background of this, it it was a pre-soundtrack to a film that never made it past the... um, I guess the idea stage is called The Lamb where um, mm-hmm. I don't know if Garth was actually going to play Chris Gaines, but I heard at the time Steven Tyler was tapped to play Chris Gaines. Uh, never made it past the soundtrack and it just confused the hell out of people. Now, I, I loved it. Now, seeing Garth mm-hmm. in a bodysuit. I could have done without that, but uh, yeah. but that, it was a pretty cool uh, thing, and you know, so it was a greatest hits album in quotations of songs we never heard but were supposedly popular from from this guy's catalog, and it it got a lot of flack because it, it, Garth went pop rock, and people didn't understand it. No, and see, it I'm going to stop
0: you there because I think I think it wasn't about Garth going pop, because Taylor Swift went pop to you know incredible, yes, incredible reaction. But it, it was it was
1: based on a fictional character, and Garth was playing a fictional character, not himself.
0: That's yeah, that's that's exactly it. That's, that's, that's where the it, issue. That's where it went, so to speak, wrong. But the album sold mm-hmm. two million copies. It did, and the, and uh, Rose by any other color. Is still a rose, yeah. and with Garth, uh, an all uh, two million albums by any other artist is two million albums. But because Garth was selling diamond level albums, that it, it was considered a flop. But twenty years on, it became kind of a cult classic among his fan base, and I still listen to it. Snow in July, Looking oh, for Gold, White Flag is just awesome. Yeah. Um, it don't
1: matter to the sun, which Don Henley's recorded since then, and uh, uh, another artist or two as well. Uh, actually donald glover uh covered it not too long ago that that made some that kind of made the popularity grow again um and then of course anybody that's a garth fan knows about it garth has not had any interest in reliving it it's one of the only albums of his that has not seen a reissue from uh, that time period he just doesn't want to relive it and in a recent interview with Yahoo he even said that fans are coming up to him saying that's my favorite Garth Brooks album and he doesn't understand it but he also said people that got it got it and I know we got it I got it the day it came out I got the holographic edition and um it, it came out yeah 20 years ago man I, I really remembered I was super excited and confused too. <laughs>
0: Well, it's not to beat up on Garth because the media did enough of that. But the truth of the matter is, history being history, we can look back and say that was a pretty dark period for for Garth. Fresh Horses wasn't doing well. If wait, was this before Fresh Horses? No, there no, no. There were issues with this was '99, so yeah, Fresh Horses yeah. was '95. Fresh Horses wasn't doing well. Sevens two years earlier had been delayed. So it was just a very very rough patch for Garth in terms of his sales and things going on at his label and some turmoil that I think was it was reflected in how the albums were pushed and how not well they were pushed by the by the label and I don't think it was any by anything Garth had done. He was fulfilling himself creatively. He had a great decade leading up to it and Fresh Horses is still some of the favorite some of the favorite live songs that he does are off of uh, fresh horses beaches and um, when he was doing the fever yeah. it's just there's some really good solid garth songs on there that I think history will be kind to and it's funny to mention album sales because the thing about John party which is how we started this and is our kind of our main story here today uh, he's only released three albums in the last eight years. Whereas Garth was doing every two years or now uh, or, or even every one year if the label was pushing him. So it's interesting that just now, eight years into his record label debut with capital UMG, uh, he has really, really hit the big time. And that's what yesterday was about with John Party. Uh, I decided that I would go and attend as I try to do whenever somebody we covers is around. Um, I try to go and uh, see their AOL build or their, what's called now Verizon build series. And he was, he was very down to earth and I'm not going to say he was articulate because he kind of stumbled on his words, but I liked that he was, he was real just down to earth. He was real. Yeah. He was not media trained. He was just hanging out, talking to his interviewer. And I actually, because it was a small audience, it wasn't crowded. They actually didn't have many people to ask a question so I actually, I typically, especially if I know I'm going to be covering them, uh, I typically don't ask a question if I know I'm going to cover a show from them later than in the night. I'm just there to listen to what they say and kind of, it's it's content gathering for the review for the next day. Yeah. But they didn't have anybody to ask a question. I thought, I have a really good question and we're going to listen to it right now. My man. Hi, John. Um, First of all, became a fan at your Jones Beach show with Dirk Bentley, and I've been listening to you ever since. Um, My question for you is, you've been described as Uh neo-traditionalist. Is that a label you would ascribe to yourself? How do you describe John Party's music? I think neo-traditionalist is is good. Um, It it brings me back to Dwight Yoakam. Mm -hmm. Dwight was put in that category in the 90s because he had this... First of all, you had Pete Anderson on guitar, and it was this rock and blues, rock and roll kind of country that was influenced with California Bakersfield sound, mm-hmm. and for me, it kind of takes you back to where I'm kind of bringing this old school sound, but it's modern, and, and and I always can explain that I can tour with Alan Jackson, or I can go open up for FGL, mm-hmm. and it's all in the same kind of relevance, and I think that's what neo-traditionalists mean, and... Um, and I, I, I hold on to that flame, but I, I don't want to be like describing everybody else as not country because I feel like I'm here, you know, you need an opening act or you, you want to come join a show, I'm your buddy. I love that. High fives. Because it seems like neo tradition. I ask that because it seems like neo-traditionalism is a label that gets imbued upon somebody. They don't set out to say, I'm going to be neo-traditionalist. I mean, when you're an artist, what does that mean? Yeah, I was so, going to say, we
1: should explain that for the audience that's not aware of what neo-traditional uh, country music is.
0: Yeah. Uh, sorry, I took a sip of water there, guys. If you hear ice clattering, that's, uh, <laughs> that's the water. Uh, but I thought you were about to launch into an explanation there, too, buddy. What is neo-traditionalism to you in country music?
1: So if you take, um, well, Randy Travis, George Strait's, um, a lot of these guys that came out, uh, wow, you're really, really clattering there. Um, if you take these guys <laughs> that are in, um, in the new frame of mind, let's say, uh, of country music and it's more, it's modern, but it still has the, the realistic expectations of what country music is. So you're looking mm-hmm. at, um, a new artist, that is traditional country, so you might hear some of today's elements, but it's most mostly original country, and th- that mm-hmm. is obviously objective and all that. So you just Alan Jackson's a big one. He was in the nineties when, well, you you know Garth came out, Travis Tritt, Class eighty nine, yeah part of the class a clint black who was also i would say pretty neo-traditionalist but um you had more rockers like garth and especially travis tritt that just kind of went against what country music was at the time and then you have people like alan coming out um that just stayed true to the music that's what neo-traditionalist is and again randy travis is one of them back in the mid 80s -hmm. when country was kind of going a little more pop And, uh, Mm -hmm. he just stayed to his roots and, uh, that, so that's what that means. And yeah, John is definitely one of them now. He, I believe he does use, uh, some loops, but not, Mm -hmm. not to the extent that these guys are using today that country radio just loves to play.
0: Well, I would even say country radio is starting to get away from them. There was a period in mm-hmm, two thousand. Yeah. You bring it up. Garth and Travis came up the the same time as uh, Garth and Travis Tritt came up in the same time in the same popularity as the Brooks and Duns, and the the really the golden era of Randy Travis. Yeah. So you had the the polarizing figures of Garth and Travis Tritt with the Allen Jacksons and the Brooks and Duns, really balancing it out. We had a period in the two thousands that really auto-tuned country, bro country, was all you had. Let me read a little something from my review that published yesterday from this whole John Party event. I say, after the urban cowboy phase, which is Randy Travis putting an end to, neo-traditionalism came into fashion in the 90s. The boot scootin' of Brooks and Dunn gave way to the car cruisin' of FGL. That, That's Florida Georgia Line. That, in turn, opened the doors for the success of Luke Bryan and the megastardom of Blake Shelton with Bro Country. Jason Aldean and Dierks Bentley, who I think both started before FGL were out of diapers, <laughs> eventually muscled their way into the main into mainstream success. Now finally we're back inside the honky tonk, but it's different than before. There I don't know that there's anybody coming up that's using exclusively autotune Kane Brown, but I think he's I don't know that Kane Brown is going to go anywhere. I don't think he's going to be an arena headliner. I think he's kind of fizzling. Lauren Elena who was came up a little around the same time. She's having the success that I don't think he's going to achieve. I could be wrong. Well, I want to be wrong because I want everybody to be successful. Yeah. It's good for country as a whole. Uh, but like you said, John Party, he uses the autotunes. He uses the loops. But it's not the main ingredient like it is for these guys, Kane and FGL. Right. The, it's, it's really interesting to see country radio get tired of it. And with it, I knew within the decade they would. And I would hope so. It, it's interesting because Jason and Dirks started in the nineties. They started as a response to like Garth. Garth was kind of what pushed them to go to Nashville. But here they are not finding success, not finding the arena tour success until late two thousands, early twenty tens, and they're touring alongside well, the younger guys like Jason's FGL. Yeah, see,
1: Jason's first project was in the early two thousands, and then. Um, you know, Jerks was right around that time, too. But as you mentioned, country radio and things being uh, back to what it was, not to change the subject, but Billy Ray Cyrus has a new single called Chevys and Fords, and his people are mm-hmm. telling him it's too country for country radio. That's what these radio executives are telling the label. And that's why only six, believe this or not, when it went to uh, – Singles have things they call uh, ad dates. For those that mm-hmm. don't know, when it was hitting its ad date, only six media based stations added it because it was too country. Now, there's a loop in there, but it, like you said, it's not the main ingredient. It's a 6 8 waltz. So then, how is Luke Combs getting the
0: play he's getting because he's as country as everything? He's as 90s country, dude. Heard.
1: He is 90s country. I know some of his stuff, his head loops, but it his new stuff doesn't like one too many with Brooks and Dunn is a great 90s country song beer never broke my heart i could auto loop that thing all day it was,
0: it was funny at dirks no at brad at brad uh they were bo- i saw them both at the same same location that's they were playing music there was a dj playing music in between uh or they were playing music in between yeah no it was at dirks that song came on you would have thought "Friends in Low Places" had come on. "Beer Never Broke My Heart" came on. You would have thought it was "Friends in Low Places." Everybody, everybody was singing that song. Oh yeah, yeah. And it was incredible my, to see. My daughter's been out that, for
1: what four months? Yeah, something like that. My daughter sings that at school, and people think she's crazy. They they don't they don't know <laughs> your,
0: your your daughter singing about beer. I I know I, right. I can
1: understand? I, I told her I told her yesterday. I'm like you you've got to be the only kid in fourth grade singing about drinking songs because
0: I was the only kid listen. I didn't know what that. I listened to that summer over and over and over again. I didn't know (laughs) that what that was until I hit puberty. Yeah, I didn't either. I
1: I think I was probably 20 something before I knew what that was, honestly. But, um, the, uh, she, she, she was singing one too many walking to school the other day. And then I know (laughs) she's singing it at school. And I'm like, you've, you've got to be kidding me. These kids are probably wondering who is this girl? singing these drinking songs (laughs) and I can only imagine what the adults think, but I don't care. I'm teaching her. Right. That's what I'm doing.
0: That's good. That's good. Right. (laughs) My point with all of this buddy, and I want to see if you agree is this class of the decade. I don't know that there's a class of the year. Like there was in 89 with that real sort of golden era of country going mainstream, But the class of the decade with the Luke Combs and the Casey Musgraves and the John Party, they're all going, they're all occupying space in the country music vacuum of pop culture. Like John Party is kind of taking Alan Jackson's spot. Luke Combs. He's taking Garth's spot. God, I hope Garth's team doesn't kill me for this, but he's in Garth's spot. Well, I I will
1: tell you, speaking of Luke, he is the uh, he sold out. He sold out Rupp Arena in Lexington yesterday, Friday, mm-hmm. um, in record time. He beat out faster than Garth. Uh, yeah, I, I forgot who he beat out, but it it's all over the internet. Like people are sharing it, and um, it, it's just it's amazing. Like his superstardom is literally, I feel like it's overnight, and it. I'd love to see him live, and in fact, I, I would in October if I already weren't planning to see another show, which I, I won't discuss just in case that falls through, but um, right, it, it it's great. And he's got Ashley McBride and Drew Parker. Now, I'm not familiar with Drew, but Ashley, I saw her at a songwriting round and you guys can check out uh, the website themusicuniverse.com i've got that review up there if you if you click uh, concert reviews you'll see it uh, with Carly Pierce and a couple others uh, just doing like this bluebird type songwriters round for a radio station event and she, i immediately went out and bought her album she gets mm-hmm. so she's so great and talented too but does not get radio play
0: Okay, you know how you say your daughter's the only one who's singing all these songs at school? Yeah. You're probably the only one who goes out and buys the album and doesn't just go home to iTunes. But you know what? I respect that. I, I respect that. I'm just I, lazy. I've got to have it, dude. <laughs> I, I went...
1: I've got to have the physical. If I like it that much, i got to have the physical. I'll tell you, I, I downloaded um, through iTunes Luke's stuff, his um, his EP, the prequel, not knowing that he released... Um, CDs of it very few of them but he pressed some CDs so I immediately ordered one when I found out so I had the digital and the physical I've got to have the physical if it's an option and it's got to be on CD and it's got to be the deluxe edition if there's one it it can't there is a
0: song on that record that you know you get used to hearing a song over time and you don't experience the emotion every time you hear it after you listen to it for a while this has not happened yet and i've listened to this song over and over and it just overcomes me with emotion and i think you know what which song i'm talking about i might (laughs) because it's even though i'm leaving oh you know uh i can't listen to it if i need to cry if i I need to like I have to that song. My daughter every time it upsets
1: her when I played it, and that reminds me of. Um, uh, my dad wasn't a country guy, but uh, he he loved right. music, and I just it makes me think back, you know, like wow, it's a telling song. And refrigerator door, have you heard that one? Oh my
0: God, refrigerator! That one makes me smile because that that more than anything is. Now you're a little older than me, and I'm a little younger than, uh, than Luke. That encapsulates life for mm-hmm. the area where I grew up. And now you're from Missouri. I'm from Pennsylvania, but I'm from Pennsylvania. <laughs> you know, I'm from the rural. No, and and I mean that with, with sincerity. No, and, I know, I mean I know. my elementary and and middle school years were were going to a rural school district. And having that small town life. And that song, A List of What Mama Needs uh, from the IGA Today, my mom is living that right now with her mom. So it's, it's, that is the song for my generation. And it's just awesome. It's just awesome to see my generation and how we are using our childhood to make great great music because i totally relate to that song Um, and and
1: he's just such the wordsmith like i I don't know how he does it and i thought i wrote and and most of mine have never been released but i thought i wrote good lyrics i mean man Mm -hmm. listen to what he does he just paints these pictures like it's amazing live it and yeah i i i'm from southeast missouri so um some people call me redneck i'm not i never went out and fished that much. I definitely never hunted. So I never like, uh, never hunted my own food or anything. I, I, am not like that, but, um, I, I am from a rural area and went to a very small school. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there were like 56 people in my graduating class and, um, it, it, it takes you back, you know, it, it definitely it takes you back to your childhood.
0: I would actually like to see Luke right for or with, John Party. Uh, this album, uh, "Heartache Medication," has a song by Eric Church and Miranda Lambert on it, and it has a, a bunch of songs, Dean Dillon, and, and everything. I think if John and Luke paired up, it would it would be very it would be very good. John, the the cool thing about what yesterday represented, and then I'll get into my opinion about uh, John. Yeah. And his music. And I have mixed feelings. I really like him, and I really am a fan, but I I have a mixed opinion as a critic, but at my core, I'm a fan. So, right. if, if you'll permit me the space to talk. Yeah. The cool... Th- I Not not that you it's wouldn't... It's your I show, just, too. I, <laughs> <laughs> I just know that I have a tendency to overbear. But yesterday was really cool, because we went to build, and uh, then we go to the show. And the show was at the Hammerstein Ballroom, a room that I've always wanted to go to. It's not named after Oscar Hammerstein II, who wrote all those musicals. It's named after his father, who was uh, a businessman um, and and built the room. Not to interrupt you, but I thought
1: Lady Gaga closed that place down a few years ago. Did they reopen?
0: Yes, yes, they did. Uh, as the Manhattan Center, as the Hammerstein uh, Ballroom at the Manhattan Center. Gotcha. So I'm not too sure about the history. Uh, it's it's real interesting, but it's funny you mentioned Gaga because she is one of the people that I was thinking was where that room is is a kingmaker, and I say that for guys and girls, kingmaker, queenmaker. If you play Hammerstein within 18 months, you're going to be playing arenas. Now, I think Gaga was well on her way doing arenas, but Hammerstein was a special show. Right. At least that show that closed it down, I think, down. I think she like, had been... I think
1: there were like five of them. There, it was like a residency. We reported... Yeah, I, I remember reporting on it, and that's why when you said you were going to the Hammerstein Ballroom, I'm like, no, that place closed. But again, I'm, right. I'm a Southeast Missouri hick, so what do I know?
0: <laughs> Your words, not mine, though I agree. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so... so and I get there, and initially I'm not impressed. Okay, yeah. it's this crappy vet. It's there's the floors are crappy. It's like old. You could it's showing its age. Not impressed. And I'll be honest, I was there for about an hour or two before I actually went into the main showroom. And when I got to the main show in the main showroom, I was like, holy crap! I call it the half arena. It's a, it's it's it seats less than Radio City, but it is huge. And I mean, Radio City is huge too, with a with a five story stage and all that stuff. But this, you can really tell. I mean, the Proscenium itself was four stories, right? Wow. And the the building was eight stories. So so and that was just my counting and trying to use the balconies as measurement because there were four there were four three or four There were three balconies and four levels of audience space, although they don't use the third one anymore. And then there there was like double the amount of space on top of that. The ceiling was as high as an arena. The stage was back inside the proscenium. The floor probably had about 2,000 people could could handle. It's amazing. And the acoustics, it sounded like a live record. John's set sounded like a live record. So it was mixed Uh,
1: pretty well because a lot of live concerts are mixed horribly
0: yeah a lot of live shows are mixed horribly or they take a, a little bit of time to get the mix right once the people are in the room because you could sound check to hell right you're not going to know what it's going to sound like till the thousands of people show I'm up I'm glad like, somebody else understands that concept to like three not even a week ago i i saw reo speedwagon at a theater on staten island that we love and have a great relationship with Sound wasn't mixed right until about the third song in. I couldn't hear them. I heard the music. Yeah. So, which is fine. I forgive them that. I understand. You got to go on the fly. This was perfect from from the get. And I would go see another show there. Now, I have certain physical limitations. It's an old building, and it's not the best for anybody that has physical limitations. They they do have handicap sections. Don't, Don't worry about that. But... There's a when you're up in the bow. First of all, the floor is all GA standing. I can't stand again for personal reasons. They were very good to me, and I want to give a shout out to the to the box office. They they switched me to second balcony, and the second balcony was very close. It's it's unusually close to the ground and unusually forward. So that was I was in a great spot, and you can and this is really unique. I don't know that this is the case for all the shows, but for our show. If you were in Second Balcony, you could choose where in the balcony you sat. So I found a primo spot in the front row of the balcony and sat down. So it was really cool, and the show was excellent. He did 70 minutes, but man, does he need to learn how to structure a show. I'm sorry, but there were blackouts in between every single song while he switched guitars. The band here's my advice. And I say, this as a non musician and not even as a journalist, just somebody who enjoys concerts and has been to a lot of them. Let the band start the song while you change guitars. I think they were kind of just doing a fly by night thing. Cause it wasn't even really the tour kickoff. Right. It was celebration of the, of heartache, uh, medication. I, was, I keep wanting to say heartbreak. It's heartache medication. Yeah. <laughs> um, The launch of the album, which stayed at number one for most of the day on Friday, and so it was probably different than what his show, his tour, which kicks off with two sold-out shows at the Ryman, is going to be, but that was... And the other thing was the show was very short and he didn't encore. And it's a very weird thing. You would think the egoless thing to do would be to not encore and just play your show straight through. But if you're going to do that, do what Jason Aldean did when I saw him at the Garden and say, okay, we play straight through. He kind of came up on the songs that would technically be his encore songs. And before he started them, he said, hey, why don't we finish this sucker off? We're just going to... Just going to pound it out of here hard here for the last 15 minutes, and we're going to say goodnight, and that'll be it. That lets the audience know not to stick around. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, again, going back to what I was saying when we did the Toto show about doing your hits and encores and what audiences expect. Audiences expect the encore, but. Luckily, to our credit, the band did bow with him and they did take their time leaving the stage and the House Lights came up. So it was pretty clear they weren't going to come back just in the way they structured it. But I would love to see, I would love to come back in a year when he goes on tour again and see if he's tightened up those road elements. Because this is his third headlining tour, but his first in venues that are above 1,500 seats. I was going to say, this is
1: kind of rare for a country artist to play the Hammerstein Ballroom.
0: No. No? Not at all. Okay. All right. Eric Church played it. Luke Church. Luke Church. Luke Church? <laughs> there you go. There's Eric a new Church artist for you. Yeah. Eric Church played it before he started doing arenas. Luke Combs did it, and that was the kickoff. I think within six months he was doing arenas after he did the Hammerstein. Uh wow. It was... It was, that room is, which goes back to the point and why I wanted to write the article the way I wrote it, that room is the kingmaker. That room tells you you will have a long and prosperous career playing very large venues. And I think after this tour, he's going to go to the the mid-sized arenas and then maybe, maybe, maybe the 20,000 seat arenas. Now, here's my issue with John Party, okay? Okay. A- and this is my issue with Alan Jackson as well. So... It's kind of that style and a little bit with Brooks and Dunn. Everything, I don't want to say everything sounds the same, but all of those artists have a tendency to write about the same emotion. We spent some time talking about Luke Combs earlier. Every song is a different emotion, right. a different facet of human life. Right. Y- you know, you know uh, Head Over Boots is kind of the same as some of the other lo- love songs that he does. Dirt on My Boots is 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 a party song just like, uh, just like this, I can't, it's killing me, I can't think of the song you opened with, but it all, that's why people say country sounds the same, is people write themselves into certain topics that they cover to death. If John tapped into some other emotions and other ways of writing, I think he would be good and found some other songs. But I'm just a critic, and what do I know? I got to meet him. He's very nice. I'm happy for all the success. I'm by no means trying to be a hater. I'm a fan, and I will go see him and cover him as long as the team will let me. But it's interesting to see him at this stage because he's eight years in, but he's only three albums in. I don't know that he's hit that emotional sweet spot just yet. Well, what do you say?
1: Well, it looks like he played 20 songs last night. Yes, he did. Um, and he opened with ought to know that.
0: Yes. I didn't look that up cause my computer is dying. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm always right
1: in front of mine. Um, he did, um, dirt on my boots last. So you would know that, but yes. heartache on the dance floor was a popular one. Um, I, 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 I get it. I mean, a lot of times, uh, most artists sing about love, sing about breakup heartache. Are you saying you disagree with me? Uh, not really. I mean, yeah, I, I love all these acts actually, and what they, I do too. What they yeah. write about is honest, and if yeah. if they write about drinking or whatever, um, then you've got you, you've got honesty coming from them because that's what they know. Mm-hmm. And I know John writes much of his own material, like a lot of the artists are doing and um he's a california country boy and he's just i love the dogs yeah i know they're they're barking yeah. up for some reason and um you know it's just uh one of those things that uh we're not gonna get around
0: um and i don't mean it negatively i just think it's what separates it's what separates the alan jacksons from the garth brooks you know, it's... Uh, yeah,
1: and I mean
0: uh, the variety, right? The variety and, or lack thereof. And
1: uh, I'm I'm an Al, I'm an Alan Jackson fan too, but I will say he doesn't tend to put much emotion into his vocal delivery. A lot right. of it is just kind of I don't want to say monotone, but there's not a lot of of spice in there. It, it's it's you you get the same thing you get from the previous song, even though it may be a different different topic. It's still the same
0: type of, of thing. And and it's really interesting to me, because John Party is kind of the mix of Alan Jackson and George Strait. He's a little, he could do what he. I
1: turn the mic down.
0: Okay. Well, I'm still gonna edit. Sorry. Yeah, I turn the mic down when I do that. It's fine. In any of it, well, my whole thing is, my whole thing is what I noticed last night is that John is really kind of a mix of Alan Jackson. He can booty dance, which is what he called it at Build. <laughs> he can booty dance, and and he's very stoic at the same time. Right. So that I see a little bit of George Strait in there. And it'll be interesting to watch his stage persona grow as he goes from these bigger but not arena venues to arenas to see if his personality grows along with it. Right. It certainly is is more than what it was for Dirks because there he had to be an opener, and I don't think he could unleash. Somebody commented on an article we did, again going back to Luke Combs, last year, and I still remember this comment, about Luke, who middled for Jason, and I was really excited. And and I saw him, and I loved it, and I mentioned it in the review. And somebody commented, well, that's him middling and opening for Jason, because you can't be better than the headliner. Go out and see him when he headlines and does, does his shows, right. so his shows where he's the headliner. And I didn't quite get what that person meant, because if you're a performer... I don't know. I would do my show whether I was open, middle, or 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 headliner. I wouldn't. I don't know uh, that I would feel like uh, I'd I. Can,
1: I can speak from experience that when
0: my last band played,
1: we gave it yeah. all we got. Had despite we were headlining or opening, and I'm not mm-hmm. tooting my own horn, but maybe I am a little bit most of the time. We we were opening, and we we knocked the headliner out.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome.
1: It it just maybe they feel restrained because maybe that is the case. Maybe that well we can't be better than them, or maybe they've been instructed. uh, Who knows? We
0: or maybe it's their stage setup, and if that's in any way was restrictive, it it could be. But he did cut loose a lot more than when he was with Dirks. He was a little more loosey goosey and a little more.
1: Yeah, because you know that. I mean, yes, you're going to have people there seeing you, even though they're there to see Dirks or you're opening for Dirks or whoever. But you really, it's not your show, honestly. Mm-hmm. So your name's not the headliner. And it does sometimes make a difference because, yeah, maybe you are worried about uh, upsetting them. I know that's um, a different type of situation, but Eric Church got kicked off the Rascal Flats tour and it made Taylor Swift because he was too loud and he played too long and was repeatedly. At- asked not to do those things. So, but, I mean, look where he is. He, he doesn't need anybody. You know, he, he can headline a three-and-a-half-hour show
0: to turn into a seven-hour weekend. You know? Well, what I want to know is how was he allowed to get away? I would love to know how he was allowed to get away with it because he he those things... Fired. Well, no. How it even happened in the first place because those things are timed to the letter. A, a little journalist insider is that sometimes... When we're going to a show and we're going through a publicist, we will get the show times. And you folks may think it's random and it's just when the sets are done. No, they have a time schedule. Yeah. And and they adhere to it.
1: And often, and and I know the case was with um, Rascal Flats, they often get fined for going over curfew. A lot of these places have an 11 o'clock curfew, especially New York City might even be earlier there. And it, it I think with Rascal Flats it's like a million dollars for every minute or so. I forget what it was. It's a ridiculous
0: amount. Well, the, she's not music, but when I saw Kathy Griffin at Radio City, she did a 3-hour comedy show. I mean, it was incredible to see. I I got in for free through a confluence of events we won't talk about, but it was her it was her laugh your head off tour about everything that had happened with Trump and it was a three-hour show. And she would have gone longer. Initially, it was a four-and-a-half-hour show. She got, she went longer, but she couldn't do that at these big venues because it was $5,000 a minute. Yeah, but see, that's what I don't get. They have curfews, but it's indoors. It's about traffic. It's about the, the pollution, the, the congestion on the sidewalk. And it's about courtesy AOL build or Verizon build. They used to have barricades. They used to have barricades at, at the studio because it's just a little street corner studio on West 4th Street and Broadway or Lafayette Street and Broadway. Or yeah, East 4th and Broadway. It's a little tiny corner studio. And there's one way in, one way out. If you come to do build, you're going to have to interact and sign autographs because they're there. Right. And there's no escaping them. So, yeah, because
1: you've covered a couple
0: of those already, right? So they used to have barricades, and you'd line up. I saw Reba there. Yeah, don't start. <laughs> and when she came out, we were all we were all on the barricades. She was signing. She wasn't doing pictures because she's notorious. If she can't get to everybody, she won't do it. Right. Them. So, which you told me that, but anyway, yeah, because I've experienced. She, it. <laughs> so she comes out, and there's barricades. I go. Expecting to lean across the barricade. I get up there about forty five minutes before they're gonna let us in. And I'm expecting to be able to lean on a barricade. Again, I can't stand anymore under my own weight for long periods of time. So I'm I'm looking for the barricades and I go in and I say, Look, I said, Where are the barricades? She said, Oh, we got yelled at by the by neighbors. They didn't want the barricades on the block on this little street corner, so now there's no barricades. And when Antonio Banderas, because he was the 11 o'clock John party, was the 12, <laughs> when Antonio Banderas came out, the people rushed him and attacked his face. Were shoving, wow, um, were shoving Princess Bride photos in his face. And it was. <laughs> It was it was mad. Were you he was one of those nice. people
1: shoveling, shoving shoving Princess Bride photos in his face, Matt? And you just don't want to admit it? No, but had
0: I known he was going to be there, I would have brought up a, a Spy kid something or other. Oh, but okay. I, I try to I try to be chill. I try Zorro. to be respectful. I I I just <laughs> Zorro. <laughs> I try to I try to be chill, and I just watched this, and my God. It was just crazy. It was crazy. It was you. Yeah. It was small, but you would have think he was Justin Bieber or something. The way they were modeled. Oh, I him. bet. And it's it's just ridiculous. Why did we get on this about barricades? Where, uh, where did this start? Uh, at the build series and being, I guess, them only one way in, one way out, and getting
1: autographs. And what pictures. What did
0: I say before that? How did we get here? I
1: that they're gone because the neighbors are mad.
0: No, before that, before I told this story, what was the point of me telling this story? <laughs> what were we talking about? Well, we were talking
1: about you visiting several build series and the barricades being there and you leaning on them.
0: And then. No, before that, I brought that up to illustrate something. Oh, I, that... I, I don't remember. Ah, it's gone. It's a few minutes
1: right. ago. I can barely remember that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's it was it's just crazy. God, we were talking about something. I had, to, I wanted to bring this back around. Oh, well. Oh, well. Yeah, you'll Whatever. bring it back around if you think about it. So. Okay, this bothers me that I can't do it. So, any, in any event, it was a really good day. I'm really, really happy for John that he's getting to do what he's doing. And... The album. Wow, I'm thrown, <laughs> <laughs> wow. and it takes a lot to throw me. Because well, I had
1: a point I was trying to you've make. Had
0: a, what were we? talking... You've had a crazy
1: couple of weeks. Like you're always, you're out covering something or doing something. I, I don't. You you're always you always make an effort to have something for the weekend. So you're just exhausted, and you're usually back and forth between pennsylvania in the city so that yeah. makes it even more exhausting me thinking about it makes it exhausting because
0: <laughs> you never know where i am you i i, never know. Know where I have I to
1: ask you hey can, like i didn't know if we we're going to be able to record this thing tonight because i just didn't know what was going on and no because things come up
0: yeah and you're busy too you're busy too you, yeah you have I, a... mean,
1: I mean i i you know i am but i i like to make i don't like to be gone I, I like to yeah. cover things, but I don't like to be gone. In fact, um, last time I was in LA wasn't even for a music event. Although I did stop at Amoeba records. Cause I'd never go to LA without going there. And um, uh, then when I go back, it'll be about a month from now. I'm going to a TV taping and uh, again, not music related, but I, I get invited a lot to do the LA uh, shows and I just don't, go it's the traffic and usually the timing of it it's like eh, i don't want to fight two hour traffic and on a friday yeah. night and then be there late and then have to fight more back because you can never time la traffic you you right. think at 11 o'clock at night the highways are clear nope somebody decided to <laughs> jackknife and cause the uh, only way you're going uh, to be backed up for miles and for hours. It's ridiculous. It, it is. It really is. So I, I try to avoid it like the plague as much as possible, even though I love the atmosphere of it. Um, I'm just not, I don't like the driving of it.
0: Yeah. That LA traffic is just brutal. I've sat in it with you and not with you.
1: You've, yeah, you've driven. Yeah. yeah with me. It's I mean, I, brutal. I, I'm a pretty, uh, I'm, I'm a pretty good driver, but don't, don't, Get
0: in traffic with Yeah, really. Anyway, oh, I remember why I brought up the barricades. Um, I brought them up because you brought up curfews, and it's the same thing. It's ordinances. It would be nice if people could go along, and it would be nice if they could have the barricade, but uh, majority rules here in the city, and if people don't like something, it goes out the window. Yeah, I, I, I get it.
1: And and I can only imagine what traffic's like in New York City. I've never been, always wanted to go, still do, but I, I can only imagine what traffic's like there. I mean, and, and a concert, or maybe even multiple events in the same area letting out at the same time. Yeah, Ooh. because
0: Billy Joel at the Garden was also last night for this, this month. We covered last month. The, and, and how close are they? How close are those a block, venues? Uh, an avenue block apart. An avenue and a half block apart. Oh. So... Madison Square Garden is between Seventh and Eighth. The the Hammerstein is between Eighth and Ninth on the Ninth Avenue side. Or technically, I guess between. I never know. It's it's yeah, Eighth and Ninth. It's because it's you. You just know how to you, get. there. Yeah, I just know That's how to get matters. there by how many blocks or whatever it is. I used to be so scared of the subway right. system because A C E one two three. What does that all mean? It's nothing. I go by colors and I'm fine. So. It's right. just but that's how it is. Is LA and Bakersfield similar?
1: Uh no. I mean, uh, well, with all the construction going on in Bakersfield, they they have like the whole town under construction at one time, which is I think the dumbest thing. No, I mean do. with but,
0: curfews, I said with a night, mouthful of ice. Uh, oh, um I yeah, I know they
1: have curfews, but um I I we don't have as nearly as many events at the same time, so I'm not sure. I don't pay attention to that. I just go to the shows and when they wrap up, it's like, okay, cool. Let's go
0: home. Yeah, I where if it were LA it'd be like, okay, cool. Where are we going next? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I think it has to do with the resident. I really think it has to do with the residences in the area, so that, you know, you're not dealing with traffic at eleven thirty at night because that's noisy when people yeah. are coming out of the out of a venue. But, you know,
1: it is. But what's even more annoying, where where most of the shows I've attended at the arena, mm-hmm. which is now being renamed, um, downtown. Really? It's in a – yeah, it's in a – I mean, it's got a lot of uh, – you know, there's a, a, a theater behind it and a bunch of parking areas and some uh, – I think the courthouse is right there. And there's some weirdly residential homes on that street and I usually find parking, uh, I have in the past found parking, free parking on the street. What's even more annoying is the freaking train tracks that run behind mm-hmm. it. And they literally, besides number one being loud, which has to be noisier than a crowd coming out of a venue. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. They will stop in the middle of the tracks in the middle of the road. The trains stop on the tracks? Sit, they sit there. Yes, they sit there. So you can't get through if you're driving. Why do they sit so
0: there? They, Is there a station? Or? It's
1: all over town. It's stupid. No. If you go to, depending on where you go, I, I've had to take detours because the trains will just sit there for 20 minutes or longer. Who knows how long they've been there. Right? It's so Welcome stupid. Welcome to train time. So at, Matt, the venue, but... <laughs> at the venue, and, and ranting yeah. about it, at the venue... So I usually park behind the venue and then walk. And if I'm not paying attention to my ticket, it might be at the theater, which is clearly the other side. But I'll end up walking into the arena, as I have before. And then they scan my ticket. This ticket won't scan after I've gone through security and like, uh, why won't you take my ticket? Oh, it's next door. You gotta walk around. It's at the, um, it's at the theater. Dummy me. Okay, my fault. So when you come out. A lot of times, you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock or later, a train just sitting there. Or, uh, and and, it never fails, a train just happens to be coming as the crowd's letting out. But the way they have it designed is they have a a pedestrian bridge that goes up probably five, six flights of stairs that will just get your muscles aching. Or an elevator, one elevator to handle all these people though, that will go over the train tracks and then down so that way you could still get across ridiculous but it's just super annoying so when you think about curfews why don't they think about the trains because those too. schedules are
0: unpredictable one day you may have a train at 11 one day you may have it at 10 another at 2 in the morning Th- that those have nothing to do okay
1: well, yeah yeah but i mean it it does cause more traffic problems that causes more delays and You know, things like that. So that's kind of what I'm getting at. It's sometimes they're more of the annoyance than the actual crowd. Well, let me ask you this. Making the noise. Speaking
0: of that theater, John, and to bring this back to my, our original point, because we should wrap this up because when we get to talking about traffic, I think we've run out of the topic for the day. But to bring this (laughs) to the theater you're talking about, uh, which is a theater that John Party is going to be playing that I know uh, a lot of people play. What does it mean for you? Where is an artist in their career when they headline, and I'm just going to say the venue name, when they headline the Bank Theater? Where are they in their career and how long until they're coming back to play the Bank Arena and then some of the larger venues? Right, right. Uh,
1: well, you know, it really depends because the last um, two shows I've seen at the theater were um, Ted mm-hmm. Nugent a couple of years ago after I interviewed him and uh, Sammy Hagar in the oh, Circle. Cool. Uh, Great shows. Uh, Sammy, I didn't cover for us, but I did cover Ted. And then the arena, um, last show I saw there, uh, which I also didn't cover, um, was uh, Carrie Underwood, the Cry Pretty 360 tour. And um, yes, party is coming November 2nd. Uh, Well, it's sold out. Wait,
0: Carrie Underwood was at the theater?
1: No, she was at the arena. So, I, I, I've covered both, but the arena, I'm just saying, acts like, a, I don't want to say legacy acts, I, but I will, I in this case, are more or less playing the theaters, and the newer acts, or popular acts, now are playing the actual arena. Well, that's awesome. So, yeah, so you, you get to see both sides of it, but uh, I... I can't really say I mean, I like I said, legacy, whatever. So sometimes the older acts are playing the smaller mm-hmm. venues and the newer acts are playing the larger ones. So that kinda tells you where and they're sometimes at.
0: Sometimes it's in reverse. Sometimes the newer acts yeah, And some, yeah,
1: sometimes. Yeah. Uh actually John Party's playing here two nights in a row. So So sold out November second and then November third, which is a Sunday. He's actually so playing. So technically he
0: could have sold the uh, arena once it
1: again. Uh he did, yeah. Yeah, he 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 did. So this is uh they do have VIP still for the uh November 2nd show. No, Cheryl. I'm saying since he's at the theater,
0: uh, he could have it could have just been one arena show which shows you how popular he is. No, he this is this is the arena. He's playing Really? The arena. I read it. He I thought it was the arena Bravo arena Bank out. Theater. Uh,
1: double check it. Oh uh, you're right. It's the theater. Ding, see, I ding, tell you, I don't look at the ding, tickets for the that win. much. I see the Robo bank and there you go. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised unless there's, like, um, a basketball game or something going on. I'm surprised they don't have the
0: theater, uh, the arena booked. Well, he is. I noticed, I, I really wanted to write about how this was his coming into to larger venues. And the truth is, the last story he did about venues that sat about 1,200, this time he's doing 2,500 to 3,500. So it's not that big a bump. But it is a bump, right. so I say with. That's why I say within eighteen months, and especially if he keeps putting out music, he'll hit. He'll get there with the arenas, and it's so cool to see, and it's so cool to sort of watch somebody explode and start their rise to superstardom, which is how this oh, whole yeah. thing started. Uh, so. With that, I will say I know you might have, if you listened all the way through to our first episode. Which, by the way, everybody, thank you for blowing it up. I don't know if it was because of yes. Toto or what, but wow, we were like, okay, we got to do more of these. It
1: it's it, it really is. And and back to John being at the theater. There's Disney on Ice, November first ah, in the arena. So that's the mouse why rules. He's doing. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, House of Mouse has got a. Gotta take that arena. You should over, go but, see Jesse. Uh, you should
0: take Jesse. Uh,
1: we have. I've taken her to the. Uh, I've taken her to that before. That was my first time in the arena <laughs> after being here four or five years. But anyway, um, so yeah. that that'll be cool. But yes, you guys have just. I mean, Twitter's lighting it up. Um, I don't know. We we could hit a. Uh, it's our premiere episode, so. Looks like we could hit some uh, big numbers on this. Uh, I'm I'm enjoying it. And
0: a really, really, really just sort of dumb housekeeping clarification. And we learn now to not tease the following week's episode because we thought we would be doing something on something called Germing, which is a way of establishing relationships in, in Nashville that people don't like. That is and our thoughts and feelings on that. That is definitely going to be the next one because we've decided to air on Thursdays. This is a special one because we covered something. So if we ever cover a major event like an artist release party like this, we'll do something special, but typically we'll air on a Thursday and we're gonna try to keep it episodic so that you're not like, well, you said the next one was gonna be on the history of the House of Blues or something. Why is this on John party? You know, it's it, yeah. Yeah, we're we're not we're just
1: not going to do that anymore. We're just going to talk and then tell you to tune in next yes. time, which could be next week, it could be 3 days from now. However, knowing that we are definitely
0: going to put Germing up on Thursday because nothing else is coming down the pike that that we want to do we, we, before then. We plan uh, to. We, we plan, plan to. to. Who knows? I will say an example <laughs> to kind of lead into it and and kind of lead into it would be there might be people that took issue with my going to AOL build and, or Verizon build and asking a question because I wasn't there in a journalism capacity, but we talked about it. But I wasn't there in a journalism compa- capacity, but I was. I was doing background. It was background. It was me doing it. And I have every right in this country is the freedom of the press to do that and to ask a question. But the people that run the show and let you into parties and let you into concerts may not like that and we kind of we dig into that next week one uh one two people we didn't talk about or one twitter account we didn't talk about is germ guys and they have a reality show in Nashville and they make fun of germing and people who germ them so i don't know maybe we'll talk to them and do another episode on germing but look out for that germing episode we're really excited we plan to air it on Thursday like buddy said but something may come up and it might be like that Jimmy Kimmel bit where he keeps going. My apologies yeah. to Matt Damon, our apologies to the German episode we recorded a week ago.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then a month ago, then a year ago, blah, 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 the lost episode. <laughs> there you go. Um, but we, we can tell you, read, check out our website. It's the musicuniverse.com. You can read Matt's text from uh, the John party interview or interview, the John Party album release party. And um, you, you can also see all the other latest news, which it, it, there's an abundance of it. I'm constantly posting stuff. Uh, Matt pretty much just covers uh, concerts and song reviews sometimes. But um, check it out. And, uh, of course, you can hear all of our podcasts on here. And uh, it's coming soon to iTunes. I checked this morning. It was not oh, yet. Oh, did you but we just launched this Yeah.
0: Story. Yeah, and I will talk to you about that when we are off here, but for now I'll say again, my name is Matt Bailey and I'm buddy on. See you next time. <laughs>